You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you liking M19? That is the question of the weekend, isn't it? I am. I am liking M19. I'm not feeling bored by it as a core set. I'm enjoying playing Sealed, which is a sentence I didn't think I would say. I don't know. I I had a great time this weekend playing Magic. How about you? Are you liking M19? I am liking M19. I had a blast playing with you during the 15-hour stream on Friday. Yeah. Uh, That was super fun. It made it feel a lot less like a chore in the last four to five hours than it normally does. It was great. And we're, I mean, we're winning, which helps a lot too, I think. But Mm -hmm. I've had some games that were very interesting and some games that aren't interesting at all. But I think that's magic. Right. But the the set feels like it has depth to me. And I think it's going to have even more depth in draft. That is what I think, too. So I was saying this on stream, and I posted this in the Discord as well, that there are a lot of maybe factors, like maybe it's just because it was a new set. Maybe it's because I was getting to like play a lot of matches with you and getting to like talk through a lot of our turns and thought processes. Maybe I'm bad at combat math, but like this has felt like there are a lot of games that are super interesting, more so than in Dominaria, where I just felt like all my games were like leading to that one turn where I felt like I was stable and then I would just win or not like, or then I didn't get to that turn and I didn't win. Like, but there weren't a lot of like these complex decisions of like, if I do this, then the next turn X, Y, Z, it just felt like I'm just going to keep playing lands with Tatiova and play or not. And then I'll die. You know what I mean? I I don't know that that maybe is I'm compartmentalizing or like shortcutting a lot uh, too many things, but that's, I, I do feel like this set has complex games to offer. Yeah, so it's sort of like due to your tendency of the style of decks you were drafting in Dominaria also, right? And you had done like 200 plus drafts. So, I mean, anything new is going to feel different. But I think think this does have depth to it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into that right away. We're going to talk about all of our thoughts. Uh, We're going to recap our sort of online pre-release weekend. We've done more seals than I think we've ever done in formats prior, at least since the podcast has been live. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about that Patreon. That's right. We do have a Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is a place where people can give back to content creators that create content in a repeatable way. So unlike Kickstarter, that's sort of for one-offs, Patreon is for things that happen weekly, like, oh, I don't know, a podcast for example. Um, (laughs) And if you want to give to the podcast in that way, we try and give you some perks to encourage you to do so, to let you know that we really appreciate your support, which we do. The base level for that is the Discord. And I got to say, I forgot because it was like two months ago, three months ago. The Discord during release weekends is awesome. Everyone is talking about card evaluations, about their sealed pools, about what archetypes are working, about what bombs they're getting destroyed by or destroying their opponents with. It was really cool to see a bunch of screenshots from people's paper pre-releases, their online pre-releases. Really felt like we got a lot of knowledge in a very quick amount of time from not only you and me, but all of our listeners. And that's great. Or all of our listeners who are in the Discord. For some higher tier donations, we like to give people access to our show notes, get a visual representation of how we lay out the episode. And we give access to a little pre-show recording to let you see some behind the scenes, how we set up the episode each week. And we also want to make sure we shout out everyone the first week that they join. So we want to welcome Glory, Cal, E4, Kevin, Brian, Graham, Darren, Nicholas, Adam, and Ishmael. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, like you said, Discord is awesome on pre-release weekend, and we're going to try something a little bit new with the Discord. You know, we've done some Lords of Limited showdowns where you and I join the same draft pod and then jam our decks against each other in free-for-all. So we're going to put a channel in the Discord where people can connect to do that. So maybe, you know, if you're on a budget or, you know, you don't have time to play, you know, a whole round, maybe you just want to play a game, whatever. We're going to set up a channel where you can connect with other users in the Lords of Limited Discord to try to jam some games with your draft decks. Maybe you felt like you got land screwed and you didn't really get to see how your deck played out, but you want to test some more games. I'm certain there are going to be some people in there that really want to jam games. We're going to try that out and hopefully that takes off. Yeah, I bet that's going to be great for early in a format as well for exactly what you said of like, oh, I I really think this deck could have done better or like, I never got to see this rare in play. I'd like to try this deck out a few more times. I think that's going to be great for getting in those extra reps for sure. So let's dive right in. We're going to get to, you know, we still haven't gotten a chance to actually crack packs 
in draft format because draft doesn't go live until uh, Monday on Magic Online and we're recording Sunday night. So we'll do a roundtable at the end of the episode, but we wanted to just really talk about Sealed because that's what our experience has been in and, and give you just our general thoughts and talk about some specific cards. So so general format thoughts, Ben, as, as people have come into my Twitch chat and I'm sure yours this weekend a lot just saying, what do you think? How's the Sealed format? What What's it like? What are your tips? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten those questions a ton. Before we get into all those general thoughts, we need to check in on that trophy leaderboard, baby. Oh my god, how could I forget about checking in on the trophy leaderboard, especially because we are crushing this sealed format. So for those who did not tune in to the the 15-hour stream on Friday, Ben and I went... I mean, we really went 18 and 4 on stream in M19 Sealed. We dangled one deck. But we, you know, we did what the four Seals that we did together in in their entirety, we went 16 and 4 together, right? That's pretty great. We had, we had a blast. And then you finished that off, right? So so how did you end with that deck? Uh, I ended up 4-1 with that deck that we dangled, that 2-0. So that, that gave us a, I'm going to piggyback on that. That gave us a combined 20 and 5 record. And then how have you done since then? Since then, I've had a 3-2, a 4-1, and a 2-3. That is amazing. That is exactly what I had, but not in that order. But I had a two, three, a four, one, and then a three, two. So we are, what is, what's our total record now? Yeah. So individually, we're each, if you count our combined matches and our individual records, which are the same, we're both 29 and 11, which is a 72.5 win percent. That's pretty good. I'll take it. Yeah, that's great. All right. So back to whatever wants to know, what's the sealed format like? What are your tips? Yeah, I think it's a pretty standard sealed format. I don't think I have any advice that's like specific to m19 in the general sense i think you're supposed to try to play your bombs play your removal i would say i wouldn't get wrapped up in clunky removal like strangling spores that's three and a black for a minus three minus three or maybe like electrify three and a red deal four damage those medium removal spells i don't think should distract you too much but your premium removal your bombs those should sort of dictate what colors you play and there's not tons of fixing around so if you don't get the fixing don't splash play good cards don't play cards that are not like intrinsically powerful. I think that's right. This does not feel like a, I don't know, very intricate sealed format to me. Builds have been generally straightforward, you know, save for like getting nitpicky about like the last few cards. I, there have been some builds that I have made that surprised me. Like yesterday you Skyped in on my stream and you helped me build a, a pretty sweet blue green deck, which was my 4-1. And I'm not actually sure I would have built that deck because it was a pool that had a lot of fixing. So I was eager to like splash around. Surprise, surprise. But I think, yeah, it just seems like a pretty straightforward sealed format in that in that sense. Some specifics, I think, that may be also generally true in, in some sealed formats are that we found card advantage to be really great. So Divination, the two and a blue, draw two cards. Sift, which is three and a blue to draw three, discard one. Mind Rot, that's two and a black, target player discards two cards. So that's sort of a card advantage, two for one kind of way. Arcane Encyclopedia was a huge surprise for us. That's the three mana artifact where you can pay three and tap it to draw cards. So this repeatable source of card advantage and a place to put mana, that felt like a powerhouse. But all those ways to just like raw draw card advantage engines were really strong, I think, because the format tended to be pretty slow. Yeah, I had plenty of time to use Arcane Encyclopedia. It was outstanding in every deck I put it in. I feel like I won every game where I got to activate it like more than twice. If it goes unchecked, it's just a bomb. Mm -hmm. And I will say back to builds, I think, you know, builds have been fairly straightforward, but I've often been able to build like two, three, four decks per pool that all seemed very reasonable and maybe had different plans or things. I've been switching decks a lot I have in these too. sealed leagues. I've only had my opponents do it against me once, though. So I would encourage you all to build two, three, four pools and make sure you know what the strengths and weaknesses of each are and sideboard into other other decks appropriately. I'm certain my record would be worse if I had not been switching decks. Today, I got to do one of my favorite things, which was I had a blue-black deck, which was like pretty grindy, and I was up against what felt like a grindier deck. They were trying to mill me. Oh, no. And they cast Smelt, which is the single red instant destroy target artifact on one of my artifacts. And so then after game one, I was like, great, I'm going to switch into this green-black deck, which is good, and then cut all my artifacts, except for Skyscanner. And then they had to cast Smelt on Skyscanner in game two, Whoa, and I felt like so a good. genius. I <laughs> love being able to, like, sideboard to, like, be like, all right, this card in your deck now does nothing. Uh, this is another question that I've been getting a lot on Twitch this weekend, which is, where are you at in terms of number of lands to play in Sealed? 
I've been back and forth between 17 and 18 on decks without lots of places to put mana. I've been on 17 or decks that have a better curve and on decks that have places to put mana. Maybe I've got an arcane encyclopedia. Maybe I've got, you know, tormenting voice to pitch some extra lands. That's the one in a red sorcery, draw two cards, discard a card. Those type of effects push me towards 18. So I've been slightly more on 18 than I have 17, but fairly even split. Yeah, I think I'm slightly favored 18 lands to 17 lands. Blue has felt very deep to me in a lot of these pools, which we'll get to in a little bit. And when I am blue, I often have like Divination or Sift or even Omen Speaker. That's the one in a blue one three that scries to when it ETBs. Ground Reader Sphinx is something that uh, people have been calling it, which I think is funny. But I so when I have those kinds of effects, I'm more likely to run 18 and I've been more often blue than not because blue has felt pretty deep in terms of the commons in sealed. But I, I definitely think it's, you know, maybe a 17.5 land format that kind of thing and where are you at in terms of the age-old question play or draw in sealed yeah initially when we were playing together we were on the play the whole time and then just this morning i saw a tweet from lars dam that said that he you know he had posted a 5-0 deck list and said he was still thrilled being on the draw every single time mm-hmm. i thought you know i'm gonna try that out and once i started drawing every single time i picked draw i was like you know what i'm glad i'm on the draw and granted i had decks that had a better curve had some cheap removal or had some you know daybreak chaplain that's the one in a white one three lifelinker or whatever had some early plays to make me feel comfortable being on the draw that i wasn't going to get run over but i think people are being a little greedy with their mana and if you put them on the play it can force them to mulligan which is great i think mulliganing when you're on the play in the sealed format feels super punishing so i've just enjoyed being on the draw getting that extra turn to find my third land drop I've had a lot of games come down to like people being land screwed or not. It feels like uh, maybe a little more than I was used to in Dominaria because almost everyone was running 18. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think land screwed and also color screwed because I think I mean, maybe this is a pre-release anomaly because everyone like wants to play with their cool sweet cards or whatever or thinks that in sealed you should just like be splashing around. But I think also being on the draw punishes people for their terrible mana bases, which I think people are going to run more often. They're certainly going to run terrible mana bases more often than you and I are going to. Yeah, I think so. Now we're talking about like being on the draw, playing all these card draw cards. This is a slowish format, but that doesn't mean that we haven't gotten run over. And I don't think that means that there aren't good aggressive decks in the format. And I think those aggressive decks are generally going to be white. And I think that's off the back of three cards in particular that have felt punishing to me. That's the, the is it star crowned or sun crowned stag? Something, the 3-3 three, three elk that can tap target creature when it attacks. Yeah, so that card, the, the new Territorial Hammer Skull, has felt incredibly oppressive. Pegasus Courser is back with a vengeance. That's two and a white for the 1-3 flyer when it attacks. It gives another creature that's attacking flying as well. That has been just as good as it was in Dominaria. And the 5-drop Angel, that's uh, four and a white for the 3-3 three, three with flying and when it enters the battlefield, gives all creatures you control plus one, plus one, and vigilance until end of turn. I mean, that is just caused for some pretty backbreaking attacks and the fact that it gives all the creatures vigilance as we said in the crash course is just going to really really turn any race in your favor those three cards have felt the most oppressive to me in terms of aggro i agree completely but i've we faced down some good aggro decks we had a very good blue black control deck and just lost to some super close games to a very good white black aggro deck you know Mm -hmm. that had uh the zombie, the single black 2-2 that comes into play, tap, Diagraph Ghoul, that's the name of it, and just curved out and backed it up with, you know, the stag that could tap down creatures when it attacked. We really need to know the name of that card. Suncrown stag? I think, I think it's it Suncrown, yeah. That sounds right to me. And then there's Dawn Feather Eagle, right? There's a lot of sky references in these white cards. So most decks that we've played have been two-color decks, and I think that's because the fixing isn't really there. Like, splashing is not easy it didn't feel super prevalent like i feel like we were kind of misled with the dual lands being put at common rarity when they're really not like you're not going to see them that often in every sealed pool what is it you're probably going to see about two on average 2.5 it's not a ton if you don't see them then you're really relying on getting manolith or being in green and playing gift of paradise i think the best fixing is rupture spires that's the uncommon land that when it enters the battlefield you have to pay one or sacrifice it and it can tap for any color of mana that's felt like the best one but otherwise i I felt like putting manolith in my deck is like a pretty big cost unless i'm in blue and have maybe some artifact synergies or like i really want to splash that thing or whatever you know but i haven't had the dream of like being in green and getting the gift of paradise life just yet 
I think if you don't get the fixing, you should probably not splash. And I think that most of the things that are good to splash are like the bombs that you would want to play. Like, let's say you opened some great bomb, like the, the rare dragon or like Jin of Wishes or something. They're mostly double color committing or like the cycle of legendary dragons. Like they're all very, like those are going to be tough unless you're like already in two of those colors. Like a lot of these cards are, I think, tough to splash. So unless we're talking about like a Bane fire, that's the X and a red fireball effect. Like, I just don't think you really should be splashing unless you get the fixing, like stick to two colors. Yeah, it's it's tough to splash for sure. And, you know, maybe you get some duels, but maybe they're not the colors you want in your Mm -hmm. sealed pool. I mean, I think it'll be easier to fix in draft when you can pick the appropriate duels, but even then they're not going to be that prevalent. So, yeah, exactly what you said. I think most of my decks that I built were two colors, maybe with a light splash for removal, like single colored removal or something if I was short removal. But Mm -hmm. I think my best decks were straight two colors. Yeah. I think so too, except our actual best deck, our 5-0, was four colors. Yeah, splashing for disperse, no less, right? Splashing for disperse. We'll get to talking about why I think disperse is so good a little later. Uh, Do you want to talk about um, maybe what colors impressed or did not impress you this weekend? Yeah, black's been pretty shallow in a lot of our sealed pools, I think mostly due to lack of depth at common. Uh, but when it does get there, it's been very good. For example, if you've got like multiple Lich's Caress, that's three black black for the sorcery, destroy target creature, gain three life. Black's commons fall off sharply, but if you've got multiple copies of the good ones and you get some good uncommons, good rares, black's very strong when it comes together, but it wasn't very consistent in our pools. It was either obvious that we should be playing black or obvious that we should not be playing black. Blue was super deep in every pool we had. Essence Scatter, one in a blue for the instant counter target creature spell, was just very, very good, and especially good in tandem with Salvager of Secrets. That's the three blue blue for the two-two that lets you rebuy an instant or a sorcery. That card felt great if you had good instants and sorceries in your sealed pool. We had some sick blue-black decks with Salvager of Secrets that were very, very good. Rebuying a Lich's Caress feels great. Rebuying an Essence Scatter and knowing you're stable and that your opponent can't cast their next creature feels great. Yeah, I think so. Here are my like basic predictions for the draft format. I think white black is going to be like a front runner for a powerful deck because like it has some clear synergies to it. Whereas most of the other decks don't have, it's not quite clear what they want to be doing. Like maybe blue red is spells maybe, but you know, white black seems like, yeah, it's life gain. I'm going to gain life and have things that care about gaining life. Sure. And I think that deck will be good. I think blue-black is going to be a fantastic deck in draft because all the pieces are at common. So you've got, when we're talking about looping things, like, yeah, sure, rebuying a removal spell with the Salvager is great. You just get get your little body, get your removal spell back. That's really good. But when you're really doing it is when, like, Salvager is dead and you cast Macabre Waltz. That's the, like, one in a black return two <laughs> creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, and then you discard a card. So you get back two creatures, you discard a land, then you can salvage back Macabre now you've got this infinite loop maybe you're going to switch your salvager get your opponent's best creature they get your tutu oh you disperse it back to your hand and we're just <laughs> looping all these goodies most except for switcheroo all those cards are common like this deck is not going to be that hard to put together i don't think and i think it's good it, at least this weekend was really powerful and sealed i saw a bunch of versions we had one i had another one stunlock had one at his uh paper pre-release and he forewarned with that like i think that deck is is the truth and that sounds like a dream scenario, but I've already done that multiple times. I've done that without you as well, like switch read Salvager of Secrets and dispersed it back to hand, and it feels great. Yeah, that's all I want really out of magic. Surprise, surprise, flying is good in limited magic. It has felt like the reason that games are won or lost. It has felt like once you are stable and your opponent plays a Pegasus Courser, you kind of sigh a little bit you sink back in your chair you're probably not winning this game which is why we believe that plummet has felt very main deckable in green if you're light on removal maybe even if you're not light on removal that's the one in a green instant to destroy target creature with flying there's just not a ton of ways to interact with your opponent cheaply at instant speed and being able to nab one of their best creatures out of the sky is a great way to stabilize i think Yeah, and that's one of the ways I've taken advantage of multiple decks. Like maybe I've had white black as my base deck, you know, because I've had a Lich's Caress, but my opponent's on flyers and I've had three plummets in green. So I sight into green white and all of a sudden I've got three doom blades in my deck. Yeah. So you just need to be on the lookout for that. Like pools that have multiple plummets, if your green's playable at all, even if it's not in your main deck, you should build another deck so that you have a deck already built to take advantage of those plummets when your opponent's on a flyer's base strategy. 
Yeah, I think only one of my pools, I didn't feel like I should build another deck, but every other one I've been like, all right, I should at least see what this looks like. And especially on Magic Online, where you have the ability to just save that deck, there's no reason not to do that. You may see something that you didn't see before. Maybe in a matchup, you decide, oh, this is a bad this is a bad matchup for the current deck I have, but this other deck I've built is going to be great here. I really think people should get in the practice of doing that. The other one I've gotten a lot of questions about is Disenchants and specifically Reclamation Sage. So Reclamation Sage is two and a green for the two one. And when it ETBs, you get to blow up target artifact or enchantment. I think Reclamation Sage is certainly main deckable, would be happy including that in my main deck. And I'm even getting to the point now where Disenchant, if I've got an open slot, I'm fine running a Disenchant. There are removal-based enchantments floating around. There's Luminous Bonds, two and a white, target creature can't attack or block. There's Dwindle, two and a blue, target creature gets minus six, minus zero. And when it blocks, destroy it and then there's just good artifacts and enchantments running around mm-hmm. sarkin's unsealing rage has like <laughs> gone nuts when i've seen it on my side and the opponent's side uh that's sort of a build around enchantment that what when you cast a creature four five six or greater you get a deal four to target any target a player a creature whatever arcane encyclopedia we've talked about the draw card tome the new jam day tome mm-hmm. has been outstanding i think there's just enough powerhouse artifacts and enchantments running around that main decking a disenchant is fine yeah and i think our last big takeaway from the sealed format or big picture idea for the sealed format is that curve did not really seem that important i kept having people suggest like oh like just put this two one two mana two one in there or the oresco swift claw the two mana three one in your deck just for the curve it's not really a curve out format i went four one with a blue white deck where my literal only card that cost less than three was essence scatter and i don't think you need to put bad two drops in your deck that will be completely irrelevant later in the game just to like fill out your quote-unquote curve it's not really what you need to be doing in this format which i think might be an excellent segue to talk about something that you really want to talk about ben which is yeah why x ones are bad and sealed and boy are they bad Mm mm-hmm Most of them are two ones. Like, for example, when we say X1, most of them are two ones. There's a few three ones floating around, and they become irrelevant so quickly in a game of sealed. So we're just going to run off these two ones here that you should try to avoid, if at all possible, putting them in your deck, certainly with the plan of attacking. If you're putting them in there with the plan of blocking with them as an early roadblock, sure, I can get on board with that. But if you're planning to attack with the two one in this format, I think you are doing it wrong. So the first one is Cavalry Drillmaster. That's one and a white for a 2-1, and when it enters the battlefield, you can give target other creature plus 2 plus 0 and first strike when it enters the battlefield. There's Oresco Swiftclaw. We just talked about that. One and a white for a 3-1. Child of Night, one and a black for a 2-1 lifelinker. Vyashino Pyromancer, one and a red for a 2-1 when it enters the battlefield, deals 2 damage to an opponent. There's Highland Game, one and a green for a 2-1. This one blocks okay. Whenever it dies, you get a gain two life, but don't play this and plan to attack with it. If you want to play that as a roadblock against an aggro deck and you want to gain your two life when it dies, trade with a 2-2 or your opponent's 2-1, great. I'm all about that. But don't play Highland Game thinking you're going to attack with it. Don't play this card ever. Field Creeper, that's the (laughs) colorless two-mana 2-1. And then there's Lightning Mare. This one's an uncommon. It's red, red for a 3-1. It has smoke breathing, so you can pay Lords of Limited patent pending. You can pay (laughs) one and a red and give it plus one, plus oh as many times as you want, and it can't be blocked by blue creatures. So, and I might have missed some, but those are the the commonly played two ones that I've seen so far this weekend. And every time my opponent plays one of those, I feel like they mulliganed. Yeah, and that's because there are so many good cards that not only deal a damage to things incidentally, but when we talk about X1 hate, we're talking about things that just leave 1-1 bodies around or just are 1-3s themselves that you want to be playing, like Daybreak Chaplain. That's one in white for a 1-3 with lifelink. Pegasus Courser is a great card. Anyone that's playing white is going to have every copy of Pegasus Courser in their deck. Two in a white for that 1-3 flyer that can jump other creatures into the air when it attacks, but it blocks well too, and it punishes X1s. Aviation Pioneer, that's the two in a blue for the 1-2 that makes a 1-1 flyer when it enters the battlefield. Great. I get my 1-1 flyer attacking you, and I trade my 1-2 off for your whole card. There's Omen Speaker, one in a blue for a 1-3 that's relevant on turn two and on turn 10 when it ETBs you scry two, and it brick walls any two ones your opponents play. Doomed Dissenter, this is the one in a black for a 1-1 when it dies, you make a 2-2. Great, I'll just trade my 1-1 for your X-1, and then I get a 2-2 zombie. There's Reassembling Skeleton, one in a black for a 1-1, and has the ability when it's in the graveyard that you can rebuy it and bring it back to the battlefield tap, so you trade for their 2-1, and then all boom, you've got your Reassembling Skeleton back. 
Fell Spectre. This is three and a black for a 1-3 flyer. This impressed me a little bit this weekend. I thought this wasn't going to do enough. It's a 1-3 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, your opponent discards a card. And then it says whenever your opponent discards a card, they lose two life. Uh, but really, we're just looking at this as another 1-3 that's brickwalling all their two ones. There's Goblin Instigator. It's one and a red for a 1-1. One, one. When it ETBs, it makes another 1-1. One, one. That card embarrasses your opponent's two ones. Druid of the Cowl. I mean, hello, one and a green for a 1-3. Uh, the taps add green mana to your mana pool. This is, the, my, in my opinion, still the best green common. And look at that. It's a 1-3 body. Yeah, there's Elvish Rejuvenator, two and a green for a 1-1. One, one. When it ETBs, you get to look at the top five and put a land from among them onto the battlefield tapped. This has gone down for a little bit. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but it does still, if your opponent plays it, leave a 1-1 one, one body lying around that's going to embarrass your 2-1. And not to mention, there's a bunch of two threes for three mana that you want to play or two threes for four mana that are good. And there's just other good blockers around as, you know, actually Cardsphere, which is a sponsor of both of our streams, had uh, an article on their blog about like they really like went deep into the stats of the format in terms of like creatures, power and toughness. Like if you like our, as you said on Twitter, if you like our, um, our crash course episodes, you're going to really like this article. And it looks like basically after three mana, as you get up the CMC of creatures, toughness is much bigger than power. The butts of creatures are bigger than the power of creatures. And that just makes these two ones and three ones get embarrassed even more. There are also cards running around that like specifically punish X ones. So the ones that jump to mind are Plague Mare, one black black for the two two. And when it ETBs, minus one, minus one to the opponent's team. There's Skeleton Archer, three and a black. When it ETBs, you deal one. And there's Volley Veteran, three and a red for the four two that when it ETBs deals damage equal to the number of goblins you control. So even if you have no other goblins, that one pings when it enters the battlefield. So when I've had this conversation multiple times this weekend. I keep saying X1s are bad, and I keep having people fighting me on it. Mm -hmm. They say, well, there's only Skeleton Archer and Plague Mare that punish X1s. That's not the reason that X1s are bad. The reason that X1s are bad is all those other bodies that are laying around and the one threes like Omen Speaker and two threes, they just get outclassed way too quickly in sealed. Now, I think X1s are probably going to be pretty bad in draft as well, but I could see cards like cavalry drill master the one that gives plus two plus oh and first strike when it etbs mm -hmm. or the one the red Bayashino pyromancer the two one that etbs two to the dome when it enters the battlefield i could see those cards performing in a focused aggressive deck but you've got to be aware that when you're putting those cards in your deck you're taking a risk there's a lot of cards in the format that punish those cards yeah for sure all right, I want to move into talking about some specific cards that have maybe moved up or down from our estimations in the crash course. I want to talk about some overperformers here. A card that really impressed both of us, Departed Deckhand. This is one on a blue for a 2-2. It can't be blocked except by spirits. It is a spirit itself. It has the activated ability three and a blue to give another creature that same ability. Can't be blocked by spirits uh, by any creature except spirits until end of turn. And also it has the text that if it becomes the target of a spell you have to sacrifice it. So it's, you know, slightly fragile. Uh, maybe they can use a pump spell to kill it. But usually this got in for a lot of damage. There's not a lot of like really aggressive evasive two drops in this format. Actually, are there evasive two drops in this format? Not a ton that spring to mind. No. So this looks like attacks through anything. Also, this is the only spirit at non-rare, and then there's two other rare spirits. So this is basically has the text unblockable. This just frequently got in like 8, 10, 12 points of damage in every game we played it in. I think that card is fantastic. Well, and then late in the game, it just wins you the game because once you get 8 mana, you can force your two biggest creatures through unblockable along with it. It's great early, and it's fantastic on turn 12 card was very very good and i would be actively trying to play it in every sealed deck i could yeah i mean i think and just to to give the caveat of like giving a card a grade of like or giving a card a ranking of overperformer maybe doesn't mean i think that card is good it's just better than i thought it was and giving a card the ranking of underperformer doesn't mean i think it's bad it's just worse than i thought it was yeah and this is all in the context of sealed right Right. So we don't know. Maybe these things will, will be a little different in draft. I like Departed Deckhand before. I think I maybe gave it a B minus or something, but I, I'd probably bump that up to B, maybe even B plus. This is, I can definitely see myself picking this out of most packs I see it in. Yeah. Next on the list is Salvager of Secrets. That's the three blue blue for the two two. When it ETBs, you rebuy an instant or a sorcery. I think this card's power level fluctuates drastically with the power level of instants and sorceries in your deck. Once you've got, you know, a couple of essence scatterers, a murder, a lich's caress, Salvager of Secrets goes through the roof in value. And I think you just need to make sure you analyze it accordingly. 
Okay, but have you thought about when you could cast Switcheroo and give your opponent your Salvager of Secrets, and then you cast Disperse to bounce back your Salvager of Secrets on their side of the battlefield back to your hand? Have you thought of? Have we talked about that yet? We've talked about that a couple times already. <laughs> can you tell I'm very excited about it? I can. <laughs> <laughs> Another card that's great with Switcheroo and just great in this format in general is Omen Speaker. This is one in a blue for the one three enters the battlefield. Scry two. This is such a good two drop. Again, like it just brick walls all the aggro cards, which feels great when you're in a blue deck, just sets you up so nicely to be able to cast your divinations and your sifts and do your salvager shenanigans. And the scry two is, I don't know, half a card, three quarters of a card. It's very good. Again, like you keep saying, good on turn two, good on turn 10. This card was really impressive this weekend, and I imagine will continue to be impressive in draft. Speaking of good on turn two and good on turn 10, we got Essence Scatter next on the list of overperformers. That's one in a blue for the instant counter target creature spell. This was outstanding in every deck we had it in, and it's been outstanding for my opponents every time they've cast it. I think the reason it's so good is it's so frequently trading up on mana. Like if you nab, I mean, sure, it's fine on turn two if you trade with their two drop, but when you manage to like on turn six, play a four drop and hold up Essence Scatter and nab your opponent's six drop or whatever they were planning to play, it feels so good. It's a backbreaking tempo play. And a lot of times we were able to set up board states with Salvager of Secrets where we were stable and could salvage back Essence Scatter. And then you just feel absolutely invincible at that point. Can I tell you? I mean, we're not going to be doing our, our re-rankings of commons this week, but I think Essence Scatter is my number one blue common. I would not be shocked if that's the case. It's been very, very good in sealed. I imagine it's got to go down some in draft because the format's going to speed up some, I would think. But mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me if it were number one. I don't think it's there for me yet, but it's it's close. It's rapidly yeah, rising. It was great. Another card that just blew me away this weekend was Goreclaw Terror of Calcisma. So this is a rare, the first rare uh, that we're going to talk about here. It's three and a green for a four three. Other creatures you cast that have power four or greater cost two less to cast. And when it attacks, all creatures you control with power four or greater get plus one, plus one, and have trample until end of turn. So... Yeah, it itself just attacks as a 5-4 trampler for 4 mana, which is great. But we got to do some busted things. Like, sure, you could just cast Colossal Dreadmaw a turn sooner. But we were doing things like casting a 4-drop and a 5-drop on turn 5 with this in play. Because the 4-drop costs 2 and the 5-drop costs 3. It led to some explosive turns and I think was a must-kill from our opponent's perspective. Yeah, that card just feels like an A. A minus. Like, it's a bomb. Yeah, it did feel like maybe a bomb, like you have to sort of like maybe draft some cards or build your deck in a way where you can, it lends itself to those explosive turns. But even without those explosive turns, attacking as a 5-4 trampler just felt like it was bigger than anything your opponent could play. Yep, I completely agree. Next on this list, we've got Disperse, one in a blue for the instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. There's a lot of combat tricks in core sets frequently. Combat tricks are good. There's a lot of combat happening, just the way core sets are structured. And having two mana up for Disperse to know that you're not going to get blown out in combat, or to blank your opponent's removal spell, or to bounce your Salvager of Secrets that's on the opponent's side of the battlefield from Switcherooing, <laughs> the card is just so, it's so deep. It does so much. It's so versatile. I think I actively want the first copy in any deck, and this is draft too, and I think I'm probably going to want the second copy in most blue decks. Okay, here's two more reasons why I think Disperse is awesome in this <laughs> okay, format. Okay, what, what more corner cases are they? They have nothing to do with Switcheroo. We're not talking corner cases. We're talking like two of maybe the best removal spells in the set are enchantments, right? You've got Luminous Bonds, and I mean, not, you know, Dwindle isn't one of the better removal spells, but it's still a removal spell people are going to play. Being able to get your creature out from under that, or if you feel like you can just win with that one attack or the one block, being able to disperse their enchantment on your creature to then utilize your creature that turn is also a real thing. And if we just think in general about ways to interact with your opponent at instant speed in this format, there aren't any at two mana. That's why one of the reasons Plummet feels so good when you're playing green and sealed, because it's like, I've got this cheap way to interact with my opponent. I can double spell. Otherwise, you're like casting Lich's Crest, which isn't even an instant. I mean, I guess murder is three mana, but like, there's not a lot of ways to be able to feel like you can at least do something to what your opponent is doing for just two mana. And so being able to double spell, being able to do it exactly what you said, like pay four mana for your four drop and hold up two is really, really a strong feeling. You feel very protected in that moment. 
Yeah, and it disperse runs circles around totally lost, right? Totally lost is four and a blue for the instant put target permanent on top of its owner's library. It's just like noticeably better. For that very reason. Like you can't you're not playing your four drop and holding up totally lost, I'll tell you that much. Right. The next card on this list, uh, we, we the, have a, oh, the first point we're about to award. No, <laughs> yeah, we're about to award, award our first point. This is Talons of Wildwood. This is one and a green for the aura. It gives the enchanted creature plus one, plus one, and trample. And then you can pay two and a green to return Talons of Wildwood from your graveyard to your hand. And who who gets that point? I, I don't. I don't remember. We might have to go back and look. <laughs> it's not really important who gets the point. Um, <laughs> What's important here is that we give our listeners the <laughs> the knowledge about the card. Ben, you're being so petty right now. I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> I knew you'd find a way to turn this around. <laughs> ben gets the point. Ben gets his first point. Hey, you know, you should put a little like ding, ding, ding sound effect here. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. So this card I thought was going to feel too clunky. I didn't feel like it was increasing the power and toughness enough. I felt like green's big stuff. Colossal Dreadmaw already had trample. It was going to be too clunky to recur. All of that didn't feel true. It felt like this form of inevitability. Like, ah, I'm gonna, I got to kill this thing. But then, man, they get to just next turn put that on another thing that's then going to have trample on. I'm going to have to double block awkwardly. I don't know. This this card was good. Maybe it'll be worse in draft, but... It's got to be worse in draft. But maybe not by that much. What, what, a C minus in draft and a C in sealed or C plus in sealed C in draft. Like, I think it's probably good. Uh, that would that would surprise me, but I don't know. We'll have to see. It would I would surprise me if Talons of Wild was like good in draft. I think one in a green deck doesn't seem crazy to me. I can certainly see that. Next on this list, we've got Sky March Bloodletter, two and a black for the 2-2 flyer. When it ETBs, drain one, gain one. Yield drain and gain. This card was great in Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan, and is continuing to be great in M19. It was exactly as good as it was there. It was just great. Yeah, it's fantastic. That life gain synergy that it provides tacked on to an efficient, evasive body has just been fantastic, and I assume will continue to be fantastic in draft i'm moving that up to my number two black common i think over strangling spores oh strangling spores has got some explaining to do when we get to the underperformers <laughs> uh next up we've got we've already talked about this star crown stag the three and a white three three when it attacks taps a creature your opponent controls this just feels back breaking uh, a lot of the time makes combat really tough makes racing a necessity basically because there's no way you can really leave back enough blockers to take care of this thing it's just felt very oppressive every time my opponent has played it and i have not played it that much but i imagine will feel pretty good when i do yeah gallant cavalry has also impressed me that's three and a white for the two two vigilance and brings along a knight token that's two two vigilance with it so essentially call the cavalry 2.0 this feels way better to me in this format than Call the Cavalry did in Dominaria. And that's saying something because Call the Cavalry was not bad in Dominaria. There was just such a glut of four drops in that format that it felt kind of interchangeable. And this feels like one of the better things you can do on turn four in this format. Um, we'll, we'll talk about my feelings on a lot of the what I think are interchangeable four drops in this format when we get to underperformers. But this provides two relevant bodies in a format of what we decided was Grey Ogres. So it's giving you two two twos in a format of three mana two twos. This has felt very good. Yeah, there's a lot of like four two, three two menace creatures running around that this just mm -hmm. embarrasses. Yeah, for sure. Abnormal Endurance. We want to talk about another cheap way to interact with your opponent at instant speed. Here it is. This is one and a black for an instant. It gives target creature plus two plus O, oh, and it gains until end of turn. If it dies, you get to return it to the battlefield under your control tapped. Um, so this is just basically a supernatural stamina, but for one mana more. But again, like just being able to do two things in a turn, being able to enter combat or double block and feel like you have a way to save your creature in a very relevant way this card was really good and i think is also something when my opponent is holding up two mana with a swamp makes me really think hard about what my combat decisions are next on the list spark tongue dragons three red red for the three three flyer that i keep thinking has kicker and i keep wondering why my <laughs> opponents don't kick it every time they cast it i know when it enters the battlefield you can pay two and a red and if you do it deals three damage to any target this has just been great. I mean, it's been great on both sides. Like a, a five mana three, three flyer has felt good in this format, at least in sealed and being able to kill most things or, you know, dome your opponent for the final three. I got to have my opponent make a mistake and just like go to three. And then I cast spark tongue dragon. And I don't know, what, what are we calling this kicked? It's not kicked, but it's something It's just felt very, very good. 
Yeah, I think it's got to be a little worse in draft, but it's been very impressive in sealed. And speaking of dragons, Volcanic Dragon is a beating. Four oh red red God. for the 4-4 four, four flying haste. That card is outstanding. You should try very hard to put it in your deck if you open it in your sealed pool. And I think the fact that Spark Tongue is good at common and Volcanic Dragon is very good at uncommon. And there's, you know, even Dragon Egg floating around and some other little dragon things that the Dragon Matter synergies have felt like they can happen a little bit. There's that like Dragon's Horde card, which is basically Manolith, but cares about you casting dragons. I had the chance to play with that with uh, like four dragons in my deck and that felt pretty good. And all four of those dragons felt playable especially if you get the rare ones. We talked about this a little bit already. Arcane Encyclopedia, the three-mana artifact that lets you pay three to draw a card. This card has just felt like a bomb and sealed because the format feels so grindy, or most of the time feels so grindy, that if you have a repeatable source of card advantage, you just aren't going to lose. Next on the list, we've got Chaos Wand, three-mana artifact. You can pay four and tap it. If you do, target opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile an instant or sorcery card. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost, then put the exiled cards that weren't cast this way on the bottom of that library in a random order. So essentially, you activate, you get to spin the wheel on a random instant or sorcery from your opponent's deck. Can I tell you a quick story that I blew someone out with with their Chaos Wand? I can't wait. Okay, so they had Chaos Wand. I had Fumigate in my deck, not Fumigate. What's the Wrath called in this set? Now you're asking me? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I had the Wrath in my deck, and it was a 33% chance to hit. And I played Alina, which is a rare. It's four white, white for a 3-3. And when she enters the battlefield, you make one ones equal to the number of creatures you control. And she has the ability of sacrifice her to give creatures with power less than her power indestructible. So my opponent spun their Chaos Wand, hit my Wrath, and I used plus two, plus two and flying on my Lena and sacrificed her to save my team. And they wrathed their whole board with their own Chaos Wand. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. You played winded them. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. That's really cool. Yeah, Chaos Wand has felt strong to me. Like, I've seen it on my opponent's side of the battlefield and felt like I couldn't win, really, if they were like able to pump mana into it. I've had it and felt like I couldn't lose. Like, I just think it's very, very powerful. I think it's really good in sealed. I could I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't get there in draft if the format's slightly too fast. Yeah, that makes total sense or that it's m- more of a build around like you really have to build a deck that lets you like survive and stabilize to get there. And even then like you are reliant on your opponent having good stuff for you to get. So there, there's a lot of setup there, but the card has felt strong. The last card I wanted to talk about on this list was Vampire Neonate. This is single black for the O3, and you can pay two, tap it to drain your opponent for one. I've seen a lot of people say that, like, without synergies, you shouldn't be playing this card, and I don't think that's true. I mean, I think a two-mana O3 seems just fine in this format in terms of blocking a lot of, like, two drops and three drops. And late game, it has a really relevant ability. Now, obviously, you would like it if you had things that cared about life gain. But in a control deck, I think this is a totally serviceable card. Yeah, this card's just way better. Not way better, but, like, noticeably better than Child of Night, right? Yes, of course. It blanks two ones, and it's relevant in the late game. What more do you want from your one drop? nothing i think it's really really good and i think at least in sealed i have not felt like i felt like i could do things like play a three drop and leave up two mana to activate this that sort of thing like it was like a curve filler in that way like it let me tap out most turns even when i maybe didn't have things to play it gave me places to put my mana yeah it's not a good card but if you want a low drop it's a serviceable low drop all right listeners that's it we don't have anything else to talk about today right ben we don't have uh, any (laughs) we don't have any things that we missed on really or wanted to talk about from last week right i think we got some more points to award so we're moving on to the underperformers here first thing on the list auras Uh, all right it's the only time i'm gonna say it (laughs) i was wrong I took a chance and uh, it blew up in my face and I don't think that the format is fast and I don't think that the aura strategy is really what you want to be doing. However, I do think that what's it called? Oakenform is still fine. Yes, I think Oakenform is certainly going to have a place in the draft format. And maybe Ether Tunnel, the unblockable one. Everything else has just felt like garbage and I've never even considered playing it. And if my opponent has played it, I have not cared. 
Yeah. I, and I think even those two are not good and you're taking on a risk when you put them on your creature. For sure. And I think they will... I actually think those cards will get better in draft than they have been in sealed. But even then, like, I, I, I'm still kind of excited about seeing what the, like, aura payoff deck is. But I think that's going to be a much more value deck rather than trying to just, like, suit up a creature fast and win, which is the opposite of what I said about it last week. But I do think there's going to be aggro. It's just not going to be aura-based aggro. Like, you're just going to be playing white and you're going to go Pegasus Courser into Hammer Stag and into, into Angel, Angel Dawn. Yeah, and yeah. you're going to win that way. And you're just going to play great cards that smash your opponent's face in. Exactly. So I, I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sure I will at some point make it up to you. Ben, you have a lot of points. You are currently X and O right now <laughs> in the points department. Next up, I wanted to look at what I have been sort of referring to as these like interchangeable four drops. So I'm looking at Havoc Devil, which is two red red for a four three with Trample, Hostile Minotaur, which is three and a red for a three three with Haste, and Bristling Boar, which is three and a green for a four three that has like Unmenace or whatever, like it can't be blocked by more than one creature. These cards have all felt like filler and interchangeable. Maybe the, I think the three, three haste is maybe worse than the other two, but these like big creatures with like slightly less toughness. I don't know. I've, I've never really found that I wanted to put them in my deck. Like in green decks, I'm trying to like ramp into bigger stuff at five and six and not the boar. And in red decks, I don't know, like I'd rather be electrifying on turn four. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of back to overperformers, Centaur Courser has impressed me, though, as a three mana three three. Yeah, for sure. That should be an overperformer. That has felt really good and tough to deal with. Yeah. So I think just maybe that one mana difference between that and these has felt very good. I've also, also found my four drop slot getting fairly clogged in M19 and just had not had room for those cards. Next on the list, we've got Dwindle, two and a blue for the enchantment that gives target creature minus six, minus zero. And the first time that creature blocks, it goes away. There's a surprising number of good cards that you would like to dwindle that still have super relevant activated abilities or static abilities that trigger every turn or that like trigger on attacking and they can still attack with the card that you dwindled. It's a removal spell. You're going to play your dwindles, but it has gone down a little bit for me. Yeah, I mean, imagine wanting to remove your opponent's Starcrown Stag. You can't stop it from attacking and tapping your thing, and that's just a common. Like, there are more of those kinds of, like, tiny little interactions that have made me feel less good about Dwindle over the weekend than I thought I would feel. To a similar extent, I have Luminous Bonds on this list, and I know you disagree with me, and that's why I wanted to make the, the caveat earlier about, like, that doesn't mean I don't still think this is a great card, and is probably still what I think the number one white common is, but, like, I have found that putting it on a creature has not maybe felt like removing that creature as much as I hoped it would. There have been things that I wanted to remove that still had activated abilities or abilities of, of just like being around, like if it was a lord or something. There is Disperse in the format. There is Switcheroo in the format. Like there are things that exist that make these aura removal spells worse. Yeah, I can see that. I still think Luminous Bonds is pretty strong, but I can see that it's an underperformer from where we thought it was. Yes. Yeah. I think I thought like in this format, nothing looks like it does anything. So this is just straight removal and it's not. Right. Next on the list, we've got Strangling Spores, three and a black for the instant target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. This card feels horrifically clunky every time I've got it in my hand. You want to, like, what What are you trying to do? You're, like, killing a two-drop for four mana, or you're, like, using it as a combat trick, and you're holding up four mana? It's so bad. Like, no, it's not bad. It is still removal. You'll still probably play it, but, like, I want to give this, like, a C- minus or something. It has not felt good to me in most decks I've played it in. It's just felt too expensive. It's got to be, like, a C, right? I guess it, like, has the text that could kill a creature, so I guess it has to be, like, a C, but I don't really like it. Yeah, I, I've not been liking it either. Next on the list, we, we can just skip over this one. <laughs> Wait, I might get my first point. Ben's going to be X and 1. Elvish Rejuvenator. This is the, the 2 and a green 1-1 one, one ETBs. You look at the top 5 and you can put a land from among those cards into play tapped. I said that this card was not good. I thought it was a D plus. And every time we were on the 15-hour stream and our opponents played it, you were like, wow, that card's so bad. 
<laughs> yeah, it really, it's just not good. I was already like, so I, I was already thinking I was too high on it from like discussions I'd had with people in the Lords of Limited Discord and just like talking to other people about it. And mm -hmm. I sort of had already realized that I was wrong. And then like that was just confirmed over and over <laughs> and over again every time it was on the battlefield. Oh, man, that's going to be like one of my only points, but it is a good one to hold on to. It's good. Not good. It's like passable. It's certainly fine. It is like a C maybe if you cast it on turn three, but that's the only turn it's a C on. And even then there were sometimes we just wanted to play Centaur Courser. Like Centaur Courser is just a much better card than Elvish oh, Rejuvenator. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's not that it's, it's probably like, it's probably not a D plus, maybe it's a C minus, but it's not something you're going out of your way to put in your deck. And I feel like it's just going to get cut most of the time. I agree. Yes. Like if you're short playable, sure, you can put it in, it's inoffensive, but like, it's not good. It's not what you want to be doing. Yes, I agree. Goblin Instigator. This is the one in a red 1-1 one, one, that when it enters the battlefield makes a 1-1. One, one. I wanted to put this on the list. Like, I think this is really only good if you're trying to negate your opponent's X-1s. I would put this more in, like, sideboard territory. I never felt good putting this in my deck. And maybe, again, this maybe gets better in draft, blah, blah, blah. But I was pretty thrilled when my opponent played this card. I guess maybe you need like go wide synergies. Maybe it's like a synergy card instead, but the card on its own doesn't excite me. Yeah, it's a low impact card. I certainly think that's going to be better in draft. Last one on the list is Marauder's Axe. Two mana for the equipment. Uh, it gives target creature plus two plus zero and has an equip cost of two. This was just, again, like awkward. I've, I've had this be very good on my opponent's side of the battlefield, though. So Ooh, when what, what was what were they doing with it? Why was it good? They were buffing like ineffective creatures and turning them into threats. Like when I was had removal spells in hand. So it was making me spend removal spells on bad creatures in sealed deck. But I feel like we did that this weekend. We were trying to do that. We we're like putting it in blue white decks with like the aviation pioneer that was a one, two that made a one, one, or we were putting it in decks that had like mana dorks or sky scanners, like things that we were like, ah, oh, these, this will turn our irrelevant cards from the early game into threats late game. But that never panned out. We never wanted to put the mana into this card. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's situationally like fine. And it's but it's not a high pick or it's not a great card. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was an underperformer. Again, I think going back to what we said in the crash course, like if it's good, you don't need to take this highly in draft. Like you're going to get the one copy you need at some point. That brings us to the round table. Are you ready Ooh. to sit down at your first M19 round table? I was born sitting then. <laughs> All right. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards. We're going to shortcut this. So this is not every card in the pack, obviously. We're just going to pick out the cards that we think are in contention. So pack one, pick one. The following cards are options. Shock, single red for the instant, deals two damage to any target. Lich's Caress, three black, black for the sorcery. Destroy target creature, you gain three life. Declare dominance. Three, a green, green for the sorcery target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. All creatures able to block it must do so. Diagraph ghoul, single black for the two, two, ETBs tapped. And dragon's horde is your rare three mana for the artifact. Uh, it's a manalith effect, can tap for one mana of any color. And if a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you get to put a gold counter on it and you can tap it to remove that gold counter to draw a card. Yeah, I mean, this, I think, comes down pretty quickly to Lich's Caress versus Declare Dominance for me. Even though I think Shock is still the best red common, it wasn't super impressive to me. I think maybe that's because I was more on the, like, playing X3s plan over the weekend, and maybe that'll change in draft. So I think it's between the five mana removal spell in black and the five mana situational card sometimes bad when you're behind, great in every other form of the game green card and i think i'm going to take declare dominance uh at least at this stage of the format interesting for me it's between shock and lich's crest but that makes sense because i was a little lower on declare dominance than you i think i'm ultimately going to land on lich's caress here but it would not shock me if shock no pun intended is correct <laughs> you know two weeks into the format if the format's a little faster shock trades so well there's so many three twos four twos there's flyers that have two power one mana interaction is a way to get ahead on mana and if the draft format is tempo based at all shock gonna be a great card wait but like every time declared dominance was cast this weekend it just like won the game did it yeah i didn't see it cast that much oh i saw it cast a bunch 
All right. Well, maybe I'm wrong about the card, but I'm I'm on declare dominance. Interesting. All right. Moving on to pack one. So I, I think I'm going to go Lich's Caress there. Moving on to pack one, pick two. There's an uncommon missing out of the pack. And you see the following cards in contention. Druid of the Cowl, one and a green for the one three that can tap to add green to your mana pool. Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the one three flyer that can jump another creature into the air with it when it attacks. Dwarven Priest, three and a white for the two four. When it ETVs, you gain one life for each creature you control abnormal endurance one in a black for the instant until end of turn target creature gets plus two plus oh and gains when this creature dies return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control sift three and a blue for the sorcery draw three cards and discard a card act of treason two and a red for the sorcery gain control of target creature until end of turn untap that creature it gains haste until end of turn and the daddy-o gigantosaurus five green mana for that 10 10 dinosaur so i think with Declare Dominance as my first pick. Druid of the Cowl is a pretty clear second pick. Just looking at like what's the best card in the pack, period, it's between Sift and Pegasus Courser for me, and I don't know which is right. I would lean Pegasus Courser just because like Divination exists at common, and that's like basically as good as Sift, I think. I mean, obviously Sift is a little better, but... So I think I would be on Druid of the Cowl here after my Declare Dominance. Yeah, and if I had gone Lich's Caress first, there's not really a great black card to speak of to follow it up here. Abnormal Endurance is the best black card in the pack. So I think I'm just looking to take the best card in the pack. And so for me, that's again between Druid of the Cowl, Sift, and Pegasus Courser. I think I'm just going to land on Pegasus Courser. I think black-white looks very strong early, and if I can try to mize my way into it early on, I'm going to try to do so. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Moving on to pack one, pick three. There's an uncommon and a common missing, and literal no red cards in the pack. You see the following options. Epicure of Blood, four and a black for the four, four. And when you gain life, each opponent loses one life. There's a Sky Scanner, three mana for the artifacts, one, one flyer. And when it ETBs, you draw a card. There's Dwindle, two and a blue for the enchantment. Enchanted creature gets minus six, minus zero. And when it blocks, you sacrifice it. Titanic Growth, one and a green for plus four, plus four at instant speed. And Take Vengeance, one and a white for the sorcery, destroy target, tapped creature. So no green card really to follow up. I'm not looking to pick Titanic Growth third here. And while Skyscanner I think is a fine include, it's also not anything to write home about. Um, It would keep me green and it's colorless. But I think Take Vengeance is just good enough that I would grab that here uh, as my first white card. Yeah, and I think having, you know, in my pile, I've got Lich's Crest and Pegasus Courser, so I think it's a pretty easy Take Vengeance for me here to follow up that Pegasus Courser. Although Take Vengeance is awkward in a deck with Pegasus Courser, although I guess maybe you're forcing a race with a Pegasus Courser, but generally Take Vengeance or cards like that that destroy tapped creatures are not great in aggressive decks because what you really want to do is remove blockers. But who knows where my deck's headed at this point, so I think I would still take Take Vengeance here. I also think that Take Vengeance is not a card you're going to want a ton of, like maybe two max in a deck. So taking one third feels a little bad because it's like, well, I could probably get these or I could probably get at least one if white is what I'm supposed to be doing. But I think taking it here is still right. Yeah. And then moving on to pack one, pick four, there's two uncommons and a common missing. See the following options. Omen Speaker, one and a blue for the one three when ETBs scry two. Pegasus Courser again. Skeleton Archer, three and a black for the three three when it ETBs deal a damage to any target. And Transmogrifying Wand, three mana for the artifact, enters the battlefield with three charge counters on it. You can pay one, tap, remove a charge counter from it to destroy target creature, and its controller gets a two four white ox token, and you can only use that ability as a sorcery. You know, so we were talking about this last night. You had had a chance to play with this card, and I hadn't, and you were down on this, right? Yeah. I just recently had the chance to play with it in a sealed deck, and I also don't like it that much. I think it's just a little clunky and like removing. So what I thought the play pattern with this card was going to be was like remove their best thing, turn it into a two four two four, and then upgrade like your two worst things, or like remove their two best things and upgrade your worst thing. But that doesn't really feel good at the cost of a card. No, the two fours are relevant enough. And it's only really good if your opponent has like bombs and then a considerable Mm -hmm. dip in card quality. Right. And only really good if you already have a board presence. Yes. So I think I'm off the wand and I would just take Pegasus Courser number two here and be pretty happy with... uh with my my deck so far and i bet you're thrilled with your three white cards so far yep i would be slamming another pegasus courser here nice oh i'm so excited to start drafting tomorrow noon baby or is it once one eastern time right one eastern one eastern yeah so close i can taste it 
<laughs> we've also got the Dominaria treasure hunt officially wrapped up, and we've got some winners to announce. Congratulations, DC Sports 8 and Generation D20. You were the only brave souls that accomplished more than five achievements, without the exception of you, who did like 250-some drafts. Excuse me, I don't appreciate your tone, sir. <laughs> we also want to thank everyone who participated. I think we have everyone here. DC Sports 8, Mossy Beard, Generation D20, Falcane, Dr. Stupid, Stunlock FTW, Oz Espen, Curzone, Sedate Snail, Patricio N, Thursday 22, Jay Parnold, Brandon B, One Beard Dave, and Sue M. Thank you, thank you, everyone, for participating. It's a blast every time we do it. Yeah. And we also have some biggest achievements to shout out. So our biggest gains, bro, that was seeing how high you could get your life total from Evra Halicon witness. Patricio N had 275 life from his Evra. Disgusting. And Hot Pants, Sedate Snail got his Champion of Flame up to a 1210 power and toughness. Jeez. Our M19 treasure hunt is gearing up. We will have that achievement list out to you within a week or two. So if you've got ideas for your own achievements, please submit those to Gmail. Yeah, for sure. Next week, we're going to have our first report from drafting. We're going to be jamming drafts all week, and we will give you the most up-to-date information from the draft format after we figure it out. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. If you want to see us jamming those drafts, you know where to find us. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both on those same handles at Twitter, Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. And you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 